0: talking about how Jesus was born to bring light into the world. When that happened, something new was happening. People were getting a new glimpse of God that they had never seen before. And something about Christmas is supposed to be like when people flip on a light switch and all of a sudden you can see clearly, you can understand, you see something new. That's supposed to be Christmas. And I hope that if this is your first time in church or this is your first time sort of encountering Christmas from a Christian perspective and you're like, I know it's not about Santa and the mall, but what's it really about? I hope that you gain clarity around that today. And I also hope this... That if you've been um, celebrating Christmas for years, maybe, maybe you grew up in a Christian home or maybe you were like me and my mom was Jewish, but we were putting up a Christmas tree. And so you've been around Christmas for a long time that today, maybe in this next moment, in these next 30 minutes, God would give you something fresh that you would see and you'll see him in a whole new way. You'll catch a glimpse of him that causes your heart to just worship. I remember uh, getting a glimpse uh, like that of my my wife. We were married 14 years ago, and... um we had been dating for about a year, and we'd, been, we'd known each other for about two years when we made the decision to get married. So I'd seen her a lot, and we would talk on the phone every night, so we knew each other really well. This was, I'm old enough that when my wife and I were talking on the phone, we had to do nights and weekends on the cell phone so that the minutes were free. And if you don't know what that is, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna explain it. Yeah. Ask an older, just, it's like, okay, boomer. Like, just ask someone. <laughs> older near you and they will explain it to you and that was also when you know we, we used to say be kind rewind that was a thing too but we, we knew each other, we were talking on the phone, and, I, so, and so I was so familiar with her. She had been living in the same city as me for a long time, and so we just, we knew each other really well. But when the wedding day came around, we, we did it a little bit traditionally, and so I didn't see her in her wedding dress or anything like that until I'm at the front of the church, you know, standing up there, looking like a baby, because I was 22, and she was, but she was 20, I mean, she couldn't even drink. Um, and then maybe if she, I anyway, anyway, I just, I've been married long enough that she was like, stop, okay. Don't say what you were gonna say. So, you know, I'm standing up there at the front of the church and I look down the aisle at the back and, and, you know, they start playing the music, the bridal march, and she steps out into the aisle and I saw her in her wedding dress and I was amazed. I was stunned. I had never, I'd seen her before, but I'd never seen her like that. I got a glimpse of her. It was brand new and it was just something I had just never seen before and I'd never been so in love with with her in my whole life. And I think that's what, Christmas is supposed to be that you catch this glimpse of God that you've never seen before and your heart is just drawn to him. You want to you worship him and that's, that's what Christmas is. supposed to be, that you see him in a whole new way. Now, we know, all of us know, that there's more to Christmas than the materialism and the gifts. We all know that. I mean, any Disney movie will teach you that. You know, Disney movies will teach you Christmas is not about the materialism and the gifts. You know, it'll probably teach you that you need to believe in yourself, because that's what all Disney movies are basically about. But in our culture, when we talk about what is the true meaning of Christmas, we usually talk about... um, in our society, we talk about family, you know, being with the ones you love. We talk about doing good, making a difference, uh, investing in people who love you and you love them. We say that that's the, the true meaning of Christmas. But we're gonna look in the Bible in just a second at what, at what the original people who were in that Christmas story, the people who were encountering the birth of Jesus, what, what they were trying to understand the true meaning of Christmas. And what we're gonna see is that it's so much bigger than doing good or spending time with the ones you love. And of course those are great things. But Christmas is so much bigger than that. And it's so important that we see this in the Bible is the, the, the true meaning of Christmas that we're gonna see today. If you if you miss it, then your picture of God will be far too small. If you don't see this true meaning of Christmas from the Bible, then it will be very easy for you to develop a culture war sort of mentality where pe- people are either for you or against you and people have to be fought against and there's people who are on God's side and then there's everybody, there's the ungodly people on the other side. If you don't see this, church can easily become a holy huddle. And if you've ever walked into a church and seen a group of people just kind of standing literally in a circle when you were new and you were visiting a church and you came in and everybody's back was turned to you, you know that feeling in your gut? Sometimes that's what churches become. The whole church becomes that, where it's just focused inside and just meeting the needs like a country club of the people who are already there. If you don't see the, the true meaning of Christmas from the Bible that we'll look at, now, you know, you could, you could spend your whole life wondering if you could ever really know God while looking right past Jesus. I have a, a neighbor uh, whom, I, j- I just, I love this, this man, and he, um, you know, I, he, he had gone through some difficulties lately, and I asked him, I said, you know, we don't normally get to talk about really serious stuff. What do you believe about God? And he said, I guess I'm agnostic. You know, Christmas, part of the meaning of Christmas is, is meant to destroy agnosticism. You know, he felt like, I can't know God. And I would hate for you to go through your whole life saying, like, I, just, I guess I just can't know. If you don't see what the Bible is going to say about the true meaning of Christmas, then you could spend your whole life wondering if God really loves you because of all you've suffered in your life. Sometimes we hurt and we suffer so much that we wonder, could God really love me? So what is it that we're talking about when we talk about the true meaning of Christmas. It's too easy to get wrapped up in presents, tied up in travel plans, overbooked in parties. We need a new understanding of who God is and all he's done for us through Jesus. We need a new glimpse of God. And that's why we're doing this series, Unto Us a Child is Born. We're talking about, you know, the people who were in that first Christmas story, you know, they had no idea what was happening. I mean, angels are showing up, people are getting pregnant, I mean it was like it was like a telenovela of the first century. I mean things were, you know, there were in-laws, there was extended family and they were and I mean, you know, they they were just trying their best to understand what was happening. And the way that it they were figuring it out was that at just the right moment someone would enter into the story and they would kind of speak these words about this baby Jesus and they were God prompted words. You know, the Bible often some of them it says are prophecies. Some of them it doesn't say their prophecies, but it it seems really clear that God's just prompting these people to speak about this baby Jesus, and through these words, people are figuring out, "Oh, oh, that's what's going on here. Last week, we saw that Jesus is proof that God keeps his promises, and last week, we talked about how to wait on God this Christmas season, even when it seems like the Lord is slow to act on his promises, and if you missed that, you can look it up on our app. But this week, we're going to listen in with Mary and Joseph as they bring the baby Jesus to the temple, and they bump into this mysterious figure who only appears at this one place in the Bible named Simeon, which is also the name Simon. And I'm going to read to you today the whole, the whole section of Scripture. It's a little bit longer, but I just feel like in 2019, so many of us have never actually read the stories before. And so I just want to read the whole story, and then we're going to zoom in on that one that one phrase that Simeon says that's going to help us understand who Jesus is and the true meaning behind Christmas. And we're going to see if we can't catch that fresh glimpse of God. Now, um, you can open your Bible to Luke chapter 2. If you're a Renewal regular, come here with an open Bible and a pen ready to take notes. Um, If you're a guest today, you were given some teaching notes in your binder, and we've got it printed in there for you. And my goal today for you Right? Sometimes we teach messages here that are like you know five ways to be the light of the world. You know we want to we want to help you engage practically every day and live a life that's pleasing to God. But my goal for you today is just to catch a fresh glimpse of God, that your heart would be drawn to worship Him, and maybe if you've never believed in Him before, is Jesus is the Son of God. That maybe today, you would come to believe in Jesus. Let's look at Luke two twenty two through thirty five. When time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. Now, that's, that's a whole mouthful of first century Judaism wrapped into one sentence right there. And essentially what happens is when you have a baby, especially the firstborn male, has to be brought to the temple and consecrated, presented to the Lord, and you have to offer sacrifices for that child. Exodus 13.2, it's not going to be on the screens. I put it in your notes. I'm going to read it to you here. It is, is, this is the Old Testament law that they're fulfilling. Here's what it says. Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. And to us, that's, that's so strange to our ears. But the Bible explains the purpose of this, why they had to bring Jesus to the temple. I'm breaking things. They had to bring Jesus to the temple. Because when children would ask their parents about it, when Jewish children would ask their parents about it, their parents could remind them that God delivered the Israelite people from the land of Egypt. And it would remind them of the 10th plague where the firstborn was taken by the Lord. And so it was put into place so that people would remember that God saves. So they bring him and they present him. Verse 24. It says they did this. And they did this to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So eight days after giving birth, Jewish parents uh, would circumcise and name their children. 41 days after giving birth, mothers and fathers would bring their sons to the temple and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Leviticus 12.7 explains what was happening here. It says, these are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl, but if she cannot afford a lamb... She is to bring two doves or to two young pigeons. And it's actually from this, this verse that we, we learn for certain that Jesus' parents were very, very poor. Because if you don't have enough money to offer a lamb as a sacrifice, you have to offer two doves or two young pigeons. And you've been to Boston Common. You've seen the pigeons. Right? The whole point is that, you know, if you're that poor, you could just go with a basket, catch a pigeon, you know, and bring it and offer it as a sacrifice. They they were very, very poor people. and. You know, I, um, you know, not only does the Lord have a heart for the poor, but the Lord knows what it's like to be poor. And, you know, we have, we have people in our church who when they were, were growing up were hungry. And so sometimes they carry food around with them right now because they're worried they could be hungry. And we have people who are hungry today. And I just want to encourage you that the Lord knows what that's like. The Lord himself came and was poor among us. The action picks up in verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. And Simeon just pops into this story. And who's Simeon? Well, we don't know. It's actually possible. Um, for those of you who are like seriously into first century conjecture and history, I'm going to throw you a bone right now. For the rest of you, I'll be back in like 30 seconds, Okay. <laughs> It's possible that Simeon was the son of Hillel, the great rabbi. Hillel had a son named Simeon, and we know from the first century writings um, that Simeon was said to be a prophet, that he disagreed with with the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, that they thought that the kingdom of God was going to be a temporal, worldly, military kingdom, and Simeon disagreed. And so it's possible, and Simeon's not recorded in the Jewish midrash at all. So it's like, where did he go? It's possible that Simeon was a believer in Jesus. Simeon's also the father of Gamaliel who taught the apostle Paul. So it's possible that it's him. But regardless, we know that this Simon in the Bible is led by God. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God by saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. The Holy Spirit is leading Simeon to the temple. He sees this baby. And I, what I notice here is the incredible faith of Simeon. He sees this little child. He knows that it's the Messiah, and for him, that's just enough. If it were me, I would probably say, God, I'm so glad the Messiah is here. I can't wait to see what he does. I can't wait to see how he rescues Israel. I can't wait to see how he throws off the Roman oppression. But for Simeon, when God's moving, it's like it's already done. He's like, if I just even see the Messiah, if I see the child God, I have enough faith to believe that you will accomplish it. To Simeon, if God is moving, it's already done. And he continues these words spoken, prompted by the Holy Spirit. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And I want you to circle in your notes a light for revelation to the Gentiles because we're going to come back there and land there in just a second. We're going to unpack that. But for right now, let's suffice it to say this. That it means that those who are not Jews, which are Gentiles, in the Jewish way of thinking, there's only two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and not Jews, that all of these Gentiles will come to know and worship the God of the Jews, which is actually an incredibly strange thing to predict, if you think about it. Considering how deeply the Jews had been persecuted throughout all of human history Considering how strange the ways and customs of the Jews were to everyone around them, Simeon's predicting that all these non-Jews are just going to come worship the God of the Jews. It must have been a strange thought when everyone heard this. And then the story ends in verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon's words are true. People were either for Jesus or against Jesus. Some fell because of Jesus. Some rose because of Jesus. And he, he was a sign that was spoken against. Some praised him. Some cursed him. And in the end, there was a, a spear that pierced Jesus' side. And it was a sword right through Mary's heart too. Now I want you to back up and think about this prophecy from the big picture, I want you to think about how, how strangely accurate Simeon's prophecy is. Today, Christianity is a largely Gentile movement of people who worship the God of the Jews because of Jesus. If you were a Jew living under Roman occupation in the first century, and you go to the Jewish temple, and you pick up a Jewish baby, you could make some crazy predictions about that baby, but you would never in a million years predict that two billion Gentiles would worship the God of the Jews because of this baby. And yet that's what Simeon prophesies, and that is the exact state of affairs in 2019. Simeon predicted that Jesus came to this world so that every person could see God as he truly is and experience his love for them. And, you know, you think about that, his, his mother's there, his father's there, his family's probably there around with him as well, and these words are spoken to them, he's going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles, he's, everyone's going to know God because of him. Simeon is, is making sure that they know that God wants you to know him. That's what it means that the whole, like, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, that's, that's everyone, God wants you to know him. He was not content to be only the God of the Jews because that's not what he is or who he is. He is a global God. He is a cosmic God. He's not just the God of the Jews. He wants you to know him. And that's what he means when he says Jesus is a light for revelation to the, de- to the Gentiles. God cares deeply about every man, woman, and child in the world. He cares about every kind of people, every group, every language, every tongue, every nation. God cares. God wants people to know him. God wants you to know him. And he wants you to have a relationship with him. Now... I said we were going to come back to that phrase, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And we, at our church, we don't normally dig deep into the original languages of the Bible. It was written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And the reason for that is we have literally dozens of English translations by the greatest scholars who lived in the history of the world and the best manuscripts that we've ever had access to. And so by and large, when you read the Bible in English, you know exactly what it says. But there's something interesting that's happening here which is that each one of these words, light, revelation, and Gentiles, has an English parallel. So just for fun, I wanted to show you today how this works and understand the riches of God's love for you, how deeply he wants you to know him. And so let's look at them in turn. First, it says that Jesus is a light. The Greek word for light is phos, and we get our words photon from that or phosphorescent from that in English. It says, Jesus is light, and light means a lot of things in the Bible. Sometimes it means life. John 1, 4 says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Sometimes light is, uh, uh, represents the glory of God. In Revelation 21, it says, for the glory of God gives it light when it's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. Sometimes light represents truth. John three twenty one says, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. And sometimes it means living a life of good works. Matthew 5:16 says, "Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God." Glorify God. Here, light symbolizes something very specific, which is a knowledge of God, understanding God. All right? That's the basic idea behind all of these uses of light in the Bible is that when you're in a dark room and you can't see anything, you can kind of feel your way around. You, you know, you, you kind of know what things are, you're guessing about what things are, but when the light comes on, you know. You understand for sure when the light comes on. And here Jesus wants, is it, um, Jesus comes into the world so that the whole world can see who God really is, so that they can understand him in that sense he's light. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 puts it this way. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. Displayed in the face of Christ. The light of the knowledge of God's glory. So you you can see clearly who he is. You can understand. When you look at Jesus. There's a really famous illustration. About this idea. Um, And it's aimed at the fact that. um, People in the world have a limited perspective on God. And. The idea behind the illustration is that um, each of the world's religions has a different kind of perspective on God and a different amount of understanding about God. And so it's an old story, and it goes like this: There's there's four men, and they're blindfolded, and then there's an elephant in front of them, and they're trying to feel the elephant to figure out what it is, but they have their blindfold on. And so one of them walks up to the leg, and he says, "I think it's a tree," and one of them walks up to the trunk, he says, "I think it's a snake." And then one of them walks up to the tail. He's like, no, it's like a vine. And then the last one puts his hands on the body. He says, no, 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 no. You're all wrong. It's like a boulder. And the point of the story is supposed to be that people have a limited perspective and understanding of God. And so each one is partially correct. Okay. That story would be true and accurate, except that God wants to make himself known. So it's actually true that that we're all sort of wandering around in the dark trying to figure out who God is. But then God sends his son Jesus, and it is though he comes to us, he takes the blindfold off of our eyes. And so we step back and we say, oh, it's an elephant. I now know what God is like. God wants you to come out of the darkness into the light so that you can understand who he is and what he's like. That's what it means that Jesus is light. Now, this comes with a warning and a challenge. The idea that Jesus is light and that Jesus has removed the blindfold so that we can see God as he truly is. Here's the warning. It often takes Christians about 30 seconds to become prideful that they can see. And we say, I see who God really is. Look at these idiots wandering around with a blindfold on. This one's touching the tail. Good luck, buddy. It's like, how stupid can you be? We can see that God's an elephant. We know that God's an elephant. And we get so prideful, right? When we forget that 30 seconds ago, we were wandering around blind with a blindfold on our own eyes. And the only reason we can see is because Jesus has come to us and taken the blindfold off of our eyes. And there is actually, there, there are few things in the world more disgusting to people who don't know Jesus than to come into a church and to encounter a bunch of people who are prideful and think everyone else out there is an idiot because they can't see God like they can. So that's, that's the warning that, you know, that was Jesus' warning with the Pharisees all the time is that, that, you know, you can have a right knowledge of God and it creates so much spiritual pride in you that you could live a life that's actually disgusting to God. So that's the warning, okay? But here's the challenge. You know, if, if the warning is you can see, so don't become prideful, the, the challenge is this, is you can see, so be a light bringer. Be a light bringer. Try to, you know, you, you, know, you so many of you, this is Boston, so a lot of you are, will not be here in three weeks. <laughs> For those of you who are here, it's going to be so much fun. On the 22nd, we're going to have some, some different people share. We're going to get together with Kings Hill Church and have a joint service together. We, we helped plant that church in Mission Hill. But most of you are going to go somewhere else. Some of you are going to go to other nations across the ocean. Many of you are going to go back home to your families who desperately need to see the truth about who God is so they can understand him. Be a light bringer. Bring Jesus to people. Not as someone with pride like I know you don't know, but just, hey, if you come to him, you can see in the light. That's the challenge because Jesus is light. You see, here's the thing. God wants you to know him. He sent Jesus to take the blindfold off. And then when you get to know him, he sends you to bring the light to others. Jesus is a light. Jesus is also a light of revelation. Revelation is the word apocalypsis. And in English, we have the word apocalypse. Apocalypse which is not really an English word, is it? No, they, they just took the Greek word and they just started pronouncing it in English. <clears throat> now, in English, apocalypse means end of the world. But in, in Greek, it means something like an unveiling. And they use this unveiling to describe the end of the world. That's why we use it that way in English. But it means something more basic than that, just which something is hidden becomes visible. And so it's sort of like, um, like a bride when you take the veil off of her face. It's, that's an apocalypsis. It's an unveiling. It's sort of like Elon Musk with his bulletproof truck, you know? And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, there it is. You know, that's an apocalypsis. It was hidden. Now it's suddenly visible to everyone, or my personal favorite. Um, we went out to dinner the other night, and someone had to step away from the table, and so they covered they, this beautiful steak with a plate. And then when you sit down, it was like, apocalypse, you know? <laughs> It's so good. That's what apocalypse is. It's, it's unveiling. God wants you to, to see something about him. He wants you to have, not just understand that he is out there, but have a personal knowledge. There are things you cannot know about another person unless they choose to tell you. That's apocalypse. That's revelation. That's God wants you to know him personally. You can see this in Galatians 1, 11 through 12. This is how they use the word there. It says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. This is the Apostle Paul talking. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. God wanted the Apostle Paul to know him, and so he reveals things to him directly so that a relationship can come out of it. Um, I've shared this before, but my grandmother on my mom's side... um, is a Jewish woman. And during World War II, she was single. She was young and single. And so her and a bunch of her Jewish friends got together and started writing letters to Jewish soldiers that were serving overseas in World War II. And um, they didn't know these men. They were just writing letters. And one of them started writing back. So my grandmother struck up a relationship and they just wrote these letters and wrote these letters for a year. And then the man, the the soldier, came home on a two-week break and he met my grandmother for the first time and they got married the first time they ever met. Because in these letters, they had been bearing their soul to each other. These letters were the way it's like, you can know what I'm passionate about, what I care about, who I am. They've been pouring out their soul to each other so that when they finally met, they got married. There are some things you can only know when the other person chooses to reveal it. And God wanted the world to know what he's passionate about, how he loves, that he's merciful, he's kind, he's slow, to, he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He wanted us to know these things. God wants you to know him, so he sent his son Jesus. Romans, uh, the book of Romans 120 says, There are some things you can anyone can know about God. Here it is. For since the creation of the world, world God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made there are some things that anyone can know about God just by looking at the world you can understand about the create the creator by looking at the creation but there are other things that you can only know if God shows you and that's why he sent Jesus he wants you to know him when God sent Jesus into the world we learned things like God is love that's what the book of 1 John says. And, you know, I think if you just spent, if you spent 100 years out in nature, you might never figure out that God is love. They're always eating each other. It's like, it's just murder out there. You know, God wants us to know that he's love. You know, you could spend a 100 years meditating on the heavenly bodies, and you would never come up with the plan of salvation on your own. That God loves you so much that he sent his son into the world to die for your sins on the cross. Live a perfect life, die as a perfect sacrifice, and then raise from the dead, defeating Satan, sin, and death. So that if you turn from your sin and put your faith in him, he saves you. He gives you eternal life. He gives you his Holy Spirit. He gives you, he gives you the way to walk through this life in righteousness, and then eternal life is your home. God sent Jesus into the world so that we would know he's merciful and kind and compassionate. God also sent Jesus into the world so we could learn this. There is no exemption from suffering, but there is redemption of suffering. You know, sometimes people go through a hard time in their life in the church, and they're wondering why they're suffering so much. And can I just tell you something? If you're going through a hard time, I will never tell you this in a hospital room, so I'm going to tell you right now from the pulpit, okay? You know why you're suffering? Everybody suffers. There there is no one who makes it out of this world without suffering. And if you need proof of that, you can look at Jesus who lived a literally perfect life. He did nothing but love God perfectly, love everyone he ever met, and teach other people to love other people, and he suffered and he died. We see Jesus' life and we learn there is no exemption from suffering in this life. But suffering can be redeemed by God, that scars can become glory, that your deepest hurts can become your most powerful ministry, and that your sacrifices, your weaknesses, your limps, your mess, your leftovers, all of that can be turned by God into something beautiful. God can redeem your suffering. We learn all of that through Jesus, through his resurrection from the dead. God wants you to know him and he's revealing himself. So here's the challenge that goes along with this one. God's revealed himself through his son. His son has been written about in the word. So get to know this God who has revealed himself. It's almost like if my grandmother and grandfather had written all these letters and then they just never read them. I mean, what a tragedy that would be. And yet God wrote a book. He wants you to know him. And so get to know him. Listen, you have a Christmas holiday coming up. And on your connection card, there's a next step. That says, My next step is to spend time on my holiday break getting to know the light of the world through the Bible. I mean, you have time coming up on your hands. And if you check that box and drop it in the offering basket in a little while, I want to send you a resource in the mail to help you do that over your Christmas break. But for some of you, it's just, He's revealed Himself. Get to know Him. Get to know the light of the world. And lastly, we learned Jesus is the light. He's the light of revelation. Lastly, he's the light of revelation to the Gentiles. This is the word ethne, from which we get our word ethnic. And ethne means nations. So in Jewish thinking, there's Jews and Gentiles. So a quick question, be proud. Who here is a Gentile? Show of hands. Okay, who here is a Jew? Show of hands. Halfway? mom or dad put it up me me and you sister my mom is Jewish I'm, I'm Jewish I'm ethnically Jewish which means I'm God's chosen people so you're all just lucky to be here can I just tell you that no I mean you are here because Jesus is a light of revelation not to the Jews but to the Gentiles God wants you to know him. God wants people from every nation, every, every people group, every, ta- every every tongue, every language, every tribe in the world, God is bringing people out of them. He's bringing a redeemed people together into his church who are going to worship him and praise him forever in the true knowledge of God because God wants you to know him no matter where you are or where you're from. There, there's, no, there's no group or subset of people that God doesn't want to know him. It's not that there's gay people that God doesn't want to know him or trans people that God doesn't want to know him or a certain race or a certain ethnicity. or certain, there's, there's nothing. There's no person in the world that God doesn't want to know him. There is no group that God doesn't care about. That's our God. You get it? That's our God. And so when you get that, when that gets down into your soul, this whole idea of being a culture warrior, you can stab it to death in your soul and you can put it to death. We are not culture warriors. We're not engaged in a culture war. We are engaged in a spiritual battle against the powers and principalities over this present darkness. We're in a spiritual battle. We love people. And we fight spiritually. But we are not engaged in a culture war. God loves people. God wants you to know him. No exceptions. And so when Simeon said 2,000 years ago, that Jesus was a light of revelation to the Gentiles. He was showing us Jesus came so that every person could know God as he truly is and experience his love for them, that God wants you to know him. You know, John 3.16 says this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want to invite the worship team to come back up at this time. You know, that's the real gift of Christmas. God loved this world so much that he gave. He gave his son because he wants you to know him. And so I don't know what you need to do with this message. Like I said, this message is not five steps to have the light in your life this Christmas. Maybe you need to get to know the God who made himself known, and you need to check that box and commit to read about the life of Jesus in a gospel this holiday. Maybe it's repenting from a culture war mentality in your soul and replacing it with a God-wants-you-to-know-him mentality. It could be that God is speaking to you saying, this Christmas, this holiday break, you need to take this message about Jesus to your family. Listen, I, my family doesn't know Jesus, and I know it could be really awkward. You could be breaking all kinds of unspoken rules in your family if you talk about religion, you know what I'm saying? But maybe this holiday, you just need to ask permission and say, hey, listen, I know we don't normally talk about this, but this is important to me. Is it okay if we talk about something that's on my heart? And once you have permission, you can say whatever you need to say. Or it could be that God brought you here today to believe in Jesus, to put your trust in him. That you're not gonna trust in your own good works and your own righteousness and your self-righteousness, but you just say, I need Jesus. And I believe that he lived a perfect life for me and died as a perfect sacrifice on the cross in my place. That he rose from the, the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death. And you know you need Jesus in your life to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And I don't want you to leave here today without the chance to put your faith in Jesus. So why don't you bow your heads and pray with me? And if the Holy Spirit is drawing you, you can pray this silently in your heart as I pray out loud. A simple prayer of devotion. God, I need Jesus to be the leader of my life. I need Jesus to be the forgiver of my sins. I put my faith in him today. I want to run away from sin and I want to run towards you. God, please give me the gift of the Holy Spirit so that I could live a life that pleases you. I want to trust you and live for you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.